leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me I've got a very special guest. His second time on the program, his name is Stuart Zahn. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum and also an assistant statistician for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Stuart, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett. And uh, you're working for a team that uh, has had a lot of drama in this uh, in this last week, so we're going to start the episode by talking about uh, the Tom Thibodeau firing, and then later on in the episode we're going to uh, to discuss one of the best teams in the NBA so far this season, that is the Milwaukee Bucks. But uh, first off, Stuart, how surprised were you at uh, at the Tom Thibodeau firing? Uh, mostly surprised about the timing. You know, you mentioned that there's been drama in the last couple of weeks. Well, you could say it's been drama the whole season, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the beginning of the season, I thought, was more of the appropriate time that he would get let go. Um, but then he survived the Butler trade, so I thought he would make it to the end of the season. I believe he thought that, too, especially after 22-point win. I don't think anyone saw it coming. Right, they were up twenty-two to three in that game. Looked really impressive and great start. And uh, and and post the Jimmy Butler trade, the the team has for the most part played pretty well. They got off to the horrible start with all the Jimmy drama. I think in large part because you know guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins weren't really trying that hard. They were unhappy, and when players aren't happy, typically teams don't do that well. And the uh, the aftermath of the trade, you know, you bring in the Timberwolves brought in guys like Robert Covington and and Dario Saric, and those guys uh, made a pretty immediate impact. The team's defense was excellent right out of the gate, and uh, you know, guys like Wiggins and Towns really started to show it. I remember a game against the Houston Rockets, which was really the the low point of the season for the Rockets, where 
Wiggins and Towns maybe played the best defensive game I've seen in their entire career. Yeah, Wiggins really sparked that comeback in the third quarter with a couple blocks. Um, I haven't seen a defensive effort like that consistently, though, and that's what um, all Timberwolves fans, all Timberwolves people in the organization are hoping for. Yeah, they haven't been perfect, but they certainly have been better, I think, this season, especially Towns. Uh, at the rim protection side of things and just being a little bit more aware defensively than I've seen him in previous seasons. And, uh, you know, I think that was one of the big talking points around Thibodeau, not only this year but previous seasons, was the fact that he wasn't able to get this team to to play defense, which was what he was known for in his days with, with Boston and Chicago. But, you know, Slowly but surely, the, the Timberwolves have uh, have jumped up to 17th in the league in defense. And, you know, they're still in the playoff hunt at 19-21. and 21, So it's just a little bit surprising. As you mentioned, if you're going to fire the guy, why wouldn't you fire him at the beginning of the year uh, as opposed to when the team actually is starting to turn things around? Yeah, it's a little bit odd. Um, I guess you can expect that from Glenn Taylor at this point. Um, but I wanted to, to talk a little bit about the the Minnesota 76ers that were, were added to the team, Robert Covington and Dario Saric. Uh, I thought the biggest difference that they made on offense is that they they brought an infusion of, you know, they, they brought like a like a pulse into the offense. Like Saric will make cuts at timely manners. Tyus will find him sometimes. And Covington, he just makes quick decisions. So... There's nothing slowing down in the decision-making process in the offense, and it really makes things run a lot smoother. Um, there isn't any, you know, pounding the ball into the ground or, or holding the ball in your post up like Jimmy Butler might. Um, so I thought they, they've made a big difference on offense as well. Yeah, I think they, they have been a pretty solid fit. They've given the team some much-needed depth as well. Uh, at the at the forward positions, you know, obviously getting two players for one in that in that trade, uh, but but yeah, they 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 have played reasonably well, and uh, you know, I mentioned the Timberwolves at nineteen and twenty one, you know, out of the playoffs as of now, but with the state of the Western Conference just a few games out of the eighth spot, uh, and and you know, thirteenth in offense, seventeenth in defense, not playing too bad, but but one of the things I wanted to get your take on is as a possible reason for the uh, the Thibodeau firing is the idea that you know in in the last little bit with uh, with his time in Chicago I think a big reason why he was let go there was because of his uh, insistence on playing his best players in heavy heavy minutes uh, you know the likes of Luol Deng was just run into the ground in Chicago and you know you look at guys like Andrew Wiggins uh, I think he he set some sort of a record for consecutive games playing thirty plus minutes, and uh, and and in that game against the Lakers, despite the fact that the Timberwolves played really well, Wiggins played the first sixteen minutes of the ball game. Uh, I it, wanted to mention that, yeah, a sixteen minutes stint. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and is is that something where you know that's why the timing may be kind of kind of funky? Is because just the uh, the management and the ownership of teams just kind of get worn down by the way Thibodeau runs things, and eventually things just crack. I don't think it was as much of the, the in-game stuff, even though, I mean, it's pretty 
there's a lot of evidence to back up the fact that he, he plays his guys just too much minutes. Um, I think Derrick Rose even has, like, some, some of the games that he started, he, he plays the first 10, maybe 12 minutes of the game. These are really long stints for guys who are, uh, you know, using a lot of energy and playing with the ball. Um, another thing I'd add is that earlier in the season, in a, in a game, I can't remember who we were playing, but they're up 20 points, and there's like three, four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and Robert Covington and, and Carl Anthony Towns literally have to foul out to get out of the game. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they can't, they can't just you know get subbed out at a reasonable point. They're gonna play up to like the last minute and then get subbed out in a game where you know you play those last three minutes. Um, that's when an injury could happen when you're the most tired. So, but I don't think that is one of the reasons. I think. Um, part of the reasons is the the friction with the uh, the business side because um, I've talked with a couple people who who say that there's you know there's three there's three parts to the organization you got Glenn Taylor at the top then you have the basketball side and the business side and and the basketball side just doesn't see eye to eye with the business side like for instance they want to use uh, the practice courts like the business side want to use like practice courts to have uh, kids come in, they have like a little practice there with um, one of the coaches before one of the games, so it's kind of a package deal. They get to practice where the players practice, and then they also get to go to a game later that night, so it's yeah. a good professional player kind of experience, uh, but Tom Thibodeau was saying, no, we're not letting anyone else into our, our gym. Um, eventually, he had to budge because Glenn Taylor came in, kind of over overrided that decision. But it's, it's little things like that where, you know, if you're not easy to get along with, um, you're going to cause problems for yourself. Yeah, and, you know, he's going to be, Tom Thibodeau might be one of the last uh, in the line of the coach slash GM, the guy that does yeah. both duties. Uh, I just think it's it's a little bit too much to handle for one person. And uh, it, it's, you know, based on the past history of, of people doing that, it, it seems to uh, to end in failure most of the time. Uh, but but uh, you you brought up Derek Rose and uh, I wanted to, to speak to him a little bit and in terms of the business side you know what Tom Thibodeau did bringing him in when really no other uh, person really believed in Derek Rose heading into this season he was probably out of the league uh, if it wasn't for Tom Thibodeau you know you've got to you got to give him some credit on on that end for bringing Rose in and the season that he has had oh for sure and I think a lot of it has to do with having a healthy offseason because Derrick Rose has looked really fit out there. He's looked really healthy um, in his 50-point game against uh, Utah on Halloween night. He didn't look tired at all. He was attacking the whole game. He's staying aggressive. So it's nice to see him that way on the court. He, he doesn't look like he's getting tired out there. But, but still, you want to maintain your players for an 82-game season, not just for one game. Right, and, uh, you know, Rose... Is, is one of the candidates for sixth man of the year, but uh, he also added to uh, the, the drama with this organization over the course of the last week with some comments. In a, uh, in a press conference after, uh, after Tibbs was fired, you know, people were, t- were asking Derrick Rose about his relationship with Thibodeau, and Rose essentially said that Tibbs was the only coach that believed in me. No teams were, were looking at me at all, and uh, you know, even coming here, no one thought I would play this way. But then, you know, one of the one of the questions that was asked essentially was, now that Tibbs is gone, are you going to continue to play well? And Rose's response to that was, 
everyone who thinks I'm not going to play the same way, kill yourself. Yeah, it's, um, it's a sad thing to hear from someone who has a platform that he does. Um, it's obviously an inappropriate thing to say, and, and he has since uh, apologized for it, but um, the fact that it gets out in the first place is a problem. We could say, oh, our, our media today is, is way too sensitive, but, you know, if we let things like this slide, these kind of attacks, um, it's, not, it's not a good thing. Right, yeah, you mentioned the apology. He, the, that is true. He, he did say, and I quote, I messed up by using the slang term kill yourself in response to a question about whether I can continue to perform without Coach Tibbs. I did not mean it literally and regret using it, so I apologize. Uh, I personally learned a couple of things from this situation, one being that maybe Derrick Rose isn't the greatest guy in the world, but two, that uh, kill yourself is a slang term. Yeah, I, did. I thought that was uh, some weird wording on that apology. Um, like, I understand he's probably bitter about this situation, and, you know, I understand it. He's, you know, had such a close relationship with Tom Thibodeau. It must be hard to see him go, especially at a time where you didn't see him leaving. It seemed kind of like a little snappy remark to the to the question, and kind of in the moment, that's something you say, and you can apologize. But the point is, what what is saying that you're not gonna be, you know, using that kind of language, like when you're not in front of a camera. You might be using the language um, in different situations too. So I'm not sure. Just because you apologize, that that doesn't mean you haven't been using this language or you don't already use this language in other uh, circumstances. Right, yeah, it was was disappointing to see for sure. But uh, moving on to some of the other players on the roster, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves have to move on and and, and continue with with new interim coach Ryan Saunders, who's Flip Saunders' son. And uh, and looking at some some of the guys that have, that have struggled and maybe have been a part of the reason why Minnesota isn't quite as good as maybe a lot of people expected. You know, Jeff Teague threw about 25 games. I think he's only made around 25 threes on the year. And, and for a good chunk of the start of the season, he was, he was extremely hesitant even shooting the basketball, which is unusual for a guy that has been a, a pretty decent three-point shooter for most of his career. So this is the, the point in the podcast where I can just go on my rant about Jeff Teague, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so for the, the three-point shooting, yeah, he, he hesitates a lot. In a lot of cases, he gets these kick-out passes where he's wide open and he hesitates he's gonna, like he's going to pump fake, but his defender doesn't close out on him. So he pump fakes, but then no one closes out on him, and then he thinks, oh, maybe I should shoot it, but then by that time, his defender does come back out to him. Um, so it's it's that slow decision-making that really bogs down the offense. Um, I would be interested to see if he has the most average dribbles per possession because there are times where he is literally dribbling the ball for the first 20, 21 seconds of a shot clock where, where he'll, he'll use a, a town screen and he'll try to get in the lane, and then he'll kind of back out. Then he'll use another one, but he won't actually use it to get into the lane. That time, he'll keep dribbling around the perimeter, dribbling around the perimeter, you know, dribbling a hole into the floor. And he's, he's not, like, creating any offense for anyone. And then with, like, a couple seconds left in the shot clock, he'll toss it over to someone else. He'll pretty much be tossing a grenade to them, and they have to bomb it. Um, 
So that's incredibly frustrating to, to watch. And he does this way too often. And then there's times where, like, he will get in the lane, but, you know, he won't get a shot off or he'll look to pass, but he'll still just be holding the ball. And Towns will get called for three seconds in the lane and will turn it over because he just doesn't make a decision just at all. It's not even slow decision-making. A lot of times it's just like he'll keep, you know, gnashing around the, you know, the baseline, but he won't pass the ball, and people are just expecting him to shoot or pass or do something, but he does nothing. He keeps holding on to the ball, and then people get called for that three seconds, or people just don't know how to play off of that because he's just dribbling the ball, you know, until the end of the shot clock every time. It's, it's so frustrating to watch, and, you know, I see it in live time every time, and it's just... Ugh, I can see how hard it is to play with him. Yeah, and and he's a he's a pretty good example, I think, of a guy that just uh, lacks the, the the confidence and and the mental strength. I remember back going back to the the 2015 playoffs, you know, when he was a part of that 60 win Hawks team, and I think uh you know obviously the Hawks had a couple of injuries with Damari Carroll and, and Kyle Korver going down in that series against the Cavs and LeBron. But I think one of the key reasons that Hawks team failed in that series was, you know, despite Teague shooting around 40% from three that season, the Cavs treated him like a total non-shooter in that series, going under every screen, and and he just completely uh, choked in in that round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what's, uh, what's another player you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so uh, another guy, of course, Andrew Wiggins, a, a guy that uh, you... you you talk about frustrating. He's he's a perfect example of that from from my perspective. You know, he's uh, he shot around. Uh, I was hearing this on the on the Minnesota broadcast uh, in the in that Lakers game. He's shooting twenty seven percent on mid rangers for the season, and he's taken over a hundred and forty of them. And it, it it's just unreal that the guy in twenty nineteen, with the rise of analytics, that he's still just taking all of these horrible long twos. When you say the rise of analytics, I don't know if that includes a Tom Thibodeau coached team. <laughs> That's true. Um, so I'm sure a, a pull-up two is something Coach Thibodeau would be um, okay with. Uh, a lot of times they, they go with, I find this odd, where they, they, they put the ball in his hands at the end of quarters to, to, to make a play, um, and it probably usually ends up in a, a mid-range jumper. Um, you know, it's like, I like him. I like him getting some post touches, but I'd like to see him, you know, attack the basket off those post touches. Because when he does that, when he's starting to back his man down, I mean, I guess a smaller guy, when he's trying to back his man down, he's either going to get a bucket or a foul for the most part. Um, so I like seeing him used that way. But a lot of times he settles for that that jumper off of that uh, mid post touch. Right, and and not only the idea that I agree with you that he's he's got a pretty strong post game. But when your teammate is Carl Anthony Towns, who's one of the best post players in the entire league, it's tough for me to say, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to see Wiggins getting the ball instead of Towns, you know. And, and uh, you know, again, with, with Thibodeau playing his guys so many minutes, there's not a lot of time where Wiggins gets to play without Towns on the floor. But uh, what, what are your thoughts in terms of the, obviously we haven't gotten a chance to, we're recording this on a, on a Tuesday afternoon and, and the Timberwolves play uh, tonight. Uh, against the Thunder, but uh, do you have any expectations for how things might change with Saunders in there as coach, and and in particular with uh, with what we just talked about with Wiggins? Maybe he he, he will stop taking as many of those uh, inefficient shots. 
Um, from what I've heard, Ryan Saunders wants to speed up the pace, which I think is going to be a, a good thing for, for Wiggins getting out in transition because being one of the most athletic guys in the league, that's that's going to lead to easy buckets for him. Um, so I think that's one way he can score more efficiently. I don't know how that's going to change anything in the half court. I don't know if Ryan wants to, to cut out a lot of those mid-range shots from his game, um, but we'll have to wait and see. I think a lot of times, um, which with Coach Thibodeau, it didn't seem like we were running many plays. A lot of times it's just, okay, swing the ball around the perimeter and then get it into Towns for a post-touch or swing it around and then get it to Wiggins for a post-touch. It didn't seem like there was a lot of plays being run um, through much of the game. It was pretty, and even Taj. Taj Gibson would get some post-touches too, and he's not a bad post player because he just goes right at, at the, the defender and he gets either a shot or a foul every time. So, um, But I, I'm curious too to see how it how it all works out in the half what are your thoughts on uh, on the rookie Josh Okogie? He's uh, you know he's gotten uh, a few starts here or there you know mo- recently with uh, of course the the Covington injury he's missed the last three games and then uh, also you know early on in the season he got some time when when Jimmy Butler was in and out of the lineup uh, but what what have been your impressions on on that youngster and and uh, do you think he should be getting even more minutes than he has? I'm glad you finally asked, because I've been wanting to talk about Josh Okogie the whole time. <laughs> um, he's a, he's one of my favorite players to watch on the T-Wolves. Actually, I'd probably say my favorite. Um, he's quickly become a fan favorite with the energy that he brings every time he steps out of the floor. Um, I remember watching him at the, um, the NBA Combine last summer, and there was one game where the, the game was like a 17-point game. There was just like a couple seconds left in the fourth quarter. And someone was going to heave like a like a 30-footer at the buzzer. And there was Josh Kogi there to contest his shot. Like, he plays hard every second that he's on the floor. Um, and that's something that really stood out back then. And it, and it definitely um, has continued this year. You know, he just brings a, a lot of energy when he steps on the floor. I think he, he raises the energy level of the whole team. He does play a little bit erratically at times. Uh, so on offense um, and in transition, I think he's a really poor finisher at the rim right now. I think a lot of times he'd rather see contact and get a foul than actually just finish the shot. And then there's also times where he gets to the rim. And he does have a, a nice like nifty pass to Gorgie Jang or something like that. And, and he'll get an assist instead. I think defense is really just pressure to, you know, prove it, make the shot. But um, he does have some good passes that way too. Uh, but in transition, it's really, it's really because like he'll he'll be in transition a lot because he'll force steals or he'll he'll make a play on passes that you know other teams don't think he's gonna make, but he he has the energy to do so. Um, so he'll make that play. He'll get in a transition and he'll just have a terrible attempt at the rim so I mean you have the good and the bad with him but you see all the good that he does bring like you wouldn't have that transition shot if he didn't make the the play on one end Um, I will say on defense he does such a good job of getting around screens like on ball screens Um, he's like a blanket on on people and he's he's so strong too so I think he's gonna develop to be a, a really good defensive stopper on offense 
back on, when he was on Georgia Tech, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of other um, great offensive teammates, so he was asked to, like, take a lot of that load on. And I think he's got, he had a little bit of a pull-up game back then. So I think moving forward with him, I think we'll, we'll see his offensive game. He's really raw right now, but I, I expect him to, you know, slowly take steps forward. And one thing that's uh, really great about him is it doesn't matter if he's starts or he hasn't played for a couple games because the rotations have been uh, really cruel to him because um, at the start of the year, he didn't really play much. And then, you know, Jimmy Butler would be out every once in a while and he'd get, he'd get some run and he would provide a lot of energy for the team. And, and I think that earned him some playing time. But then there was like a stretch where he wasn't playing for four or five games and fans were like, what? get so loud when he came in for the last 30 seconds of a game um (laughs) (laughs) like the the crowd would roar when he gets in um so it's like we just want to see him get a more consistent role carved out for him i think that would be a um a good situation but regardless of that he comes in and plays hard plays the same way no matter if he's playing 20 minutes in a game five minutes in a game 30 seconds in a game or he hasn't played in a week like he plays the same way every time. That's a, it's a really important um, attribute for a guy that young. Yeah, I've uh, I've definitely noticed your comment about him playing hard. That is uh, that is very evident as soon as he steps onto the floor. And and uh, one of the things with, that uh, that I've noticed that he struggles with a little bit, and I feel like a lot of players struggle, a lot of young players struggle with this, is the. Uh, he he's very aggressive and he's not afraid, which are positive uh, attributes. But at the same time, that causes him to to commit a lot of fouls. He's uh, he's very foul happy at times. Yeah, yeah, and and I'll, and I'll live with that with the the way he plays. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, he's certainly um, you know for where they got him in the draft, I believe it was in the low twenties. Uh, you know, seems he's to be 20. yeah number twenty. Uh, it seems to be a a, a, pr- a pretty solid pick there. Where do uh, where do the Timberwolves go from here? What do you imagine the rest of their season's going to look like? You know, of course, now with Butler out, uh, this is uh, this is Carl Anthony Towns' team. Uh, he's he's been on a a great run as of late. But uh, do you imagine with uh, with Ryan Saunders as the coach and with Carl Anthony Towns leading the way that this team can continue to fight for the playoffs? Yeah, I think they can they can fight for the eighth seed. I mean, if you look back in the past two weeks. If they uh, if they win an overtime game against Atlanta, which they probably shouldn't have even been in overtime with, or they win an overtime game against Detroit, which they lost in crazy fashion, um, and then they also lost a game to the Suns. So, I mean, if you just win the games that you're supposed to win, you'll be right there in the hunt. Because what are we, nineteen and twenty-one? Yeah. You know, if we win those three games, um, then we're twenty-two and eighteen, and that's uh, probably sitting right there, right close to the eighth spot, if not right at the eighth spot so i mean it's just uh if ryan can get us to to play more consistently you know win the games we're supposed to win so i think we have the talent to to steal a couple games from the um the good teams that we play you know we played okc a couple weeks ago where we uh where wiggins had a really good game which was nice to see um but i think we have the talent especially with towns on our team we have the talent to win any game obviously you can't expect to win them all but we're we're in the game for for most of those, and we win the games that we're supposed to win. We'll be right there in the hunt. So, 
I look forward to seeing how Ryan Saunders can um, maybe even get our offense to a new level, bringing some some creativity rather than just looking to post him up, like post up Cat, um, which is still super effective as it's been the last six or seven games. He's been a monster. Um, but looking for, for different ways to maybe get him some elbow touches too because usually almost all his post touches are in the mid post or they're in the low block. But I'd like to see him operate from that elbow area too. I think that'd be um, could, could expand his game even more. Yeah, it uh, he he certainly has the all around skill to really succeed in 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 multiple different types of offenses. So so yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see. Is there anything uh, you know with the uh, with the trade deadline uh, basically a month away at this point? Is there anything that uh, that you imagine this team needs that uh, they should be looking for come trade deadline and and buyout candidate time? Um. Well, for buyout candidates, I don't know if they want to go to uh, uh, Minnesota, even though it's, it hasn't been that bad this winter. It hasn't been terrible, um, but I, I can see that Minnesota wouldn't be terribly appealing. Right. Um, but for, for the trade deadline, I would say, you know, wait to, to receive calls, because I don't know if um, teams might say, give in a call for Anthony Tolliver, because um, he's kind of, I, I mean, it depends on how Ryan Saunders uses him now, but once Dario Sharj came into the came to the team, he kind of fell out of the rotation completely. Um, even though I liked some of the things he'd do, slipping screens and getting threes off, he's not afraid to shoot a three. He'll shoot it whenever, um, in transition or off that slip screen. So there might be a team thinking, uh, another team thinking, hey, we could use that guy, or maybe Rose. Possibly, I've heard stuff like that too. But we're just going to have to wait and see. It's weird because they use Rose pretty much exclusively at the, the shooting guard spot unless he's starting um, for a Teague or something. But he's been playing mostly at the two on offense and defense. So that's something I, I thought was, was weird over the course of the season. But um, those two guys, I'd say, would be more likely than any of the other players to get traded. Um so we'll just have to wait and see, but I wouldn't be putting out calls. I would, I would be sitting and, and taking calls, seeing what, what other people are looking for. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's probably best to to just wait and see what this team looks like uh, with the with the new coach in place, and and uh, and sometimes you know that uh, a new coach can can light a fire under some players. So that'll be uh, that'll be fascinating to see. But uh, let's move on now to the uh, the other team we said we were going to talk about, which is the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I've uh, I've been intrigued and, and entertained by this team all season long, and I've uh, I've been really excited to to talk about them. And uh, right now, the Bucks sitting at twenty eight and eleven. They're first in the Eastern Conference. They've got the best point differential in the NBA at over uh, uh, at a positive nine point two. They're top five in both offense and defense. And uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo having a tremendous season, over 26 points a game, over 12 and a half rebounds, over six assists, and uh, you know over 1.3 steals and 1.6 blocks a game. He's just having a monster year. Is uh, is Giannis the front runner for MVP right now, Stuart? He's the front runner for me. Um, I think a lot of it has to do 
with putting the Bucks at first place in the East. A lot of people had the Bucks as a top four team in the East for sure. Uh, I think I had them maybe third or fourth coming into the season. Um, but the fact that he's brought them to a whole new level, you could argue maybe uh, Mike Budenholzer's brought them to a whole new level. But together, they've uh, enhanced the whole Bucks offense, which I think has been the biggest thing. We always knew on defense they had a lot of length, and that was intriguing. But they've really opened up everything on offense, you know, utilizing that pretty much four out, and then let Giannis operate kind of uh, style. Yeah, the... Um... The interesting thing to me, you know, in, in concerns for Giannis for MVP, you know, I I certainly think he's he's right up there in that race. But you know, you you look at his stats and and scoring wise, he's he's a little bit down this year. Uh, you know, not much, but just a little bit. But rebounding wise, he's taken a big leap. I almost think that's more just due to the fact that he's uh, he's got Brooke Lopez at center with him, who uh, Brooke Lopez and and Robin Lopez as well have both been known more for. Uh, you know their box out ability as opposed to them actually grabbing the rebound. Uh, so so Giannis I think has benefited just from the fact that uh, that Brook Lopez is is his starting center now. So he's been able to gobble up most of the defensive rebounds and the assist numbers are up as well. I think that has more to do with Budenholzer and the fact that the floor is spread and uh, you know Giannis has more room to work. So now that when double teams come, the pass is more you know. Uh, readily available and, and easy to, to spot for him, uh, but but you know he's he's having a, a great impact. But but I honestly think this is more Budenholzer than Giannis in terms of this team making the leap this year. So you must have Budenholzer for Coach of the Year at the moment. Yes, I, I do. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know not only has uh, has has Budenholzer made the uh, the impact offensively, but defensively as well. The fact that uh, you know they're, I think they're they're number one or number two in the entire league in terms of limiting uh, opponent shots at the rim. Uh, they they have done a, a really good job of that, and 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 he's been known even going back to his Hawks days for being a guy that really emphasizes help and even overhelping at times to to stop the basketball. And you know without LeBron James in the Eastern Conference this year, without a team that. Uh, that really has that dominant superstar with a bunch of three-point shooting around, uh, that that overhelping defensive style has really paid off. Oh, for sure. There, there's a couple other players I'd like to discuss, and, and I mentioned Brooke Lopez a little bit in terms of the, the, uh, the fact that he's helped Giannis in terms of allowing Giannis to, to grab more rebounds, but but offensively he has helped Giannis big time with his three-point shooting. You know, this guy just a, a you know, a few seasons ago, uh, w- was not a three-point shooter at all, and now he's launching seven three-pointers a game and knocking down 37% of them. And I mean, not just these aren't just standstill threes either. This guy, this seven-footer, this mammoth of a man, is taking step-back threes <laughs> and knocking them down. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely entertaining <laughs> to say the least. Um, but like, he's not even right tippy toes on the three-point line he's he's a ways back too some of these are 30 footers right it's like um, ryan anderson-esque yeah yeah it really is in that kind of mold you know it's you can credit some of you know Giannis's assist to just literally tossing it out to a seven footer and, and letting that guy do the rest yeah and you know the the fact that uh 
Budenholzer, not only with Lopez, but with all of the centers on the roster, has really given them freedom to to shoot away from three. Thon Maker looks like he's got more confident shooting the basketball uh, this season, and and even when they had John Henson prior to that to that trade, he was even taking threes for the first time in his career. Yeah, I remember a game earlier this season where the Bucks eviscerated the Wolves. You know, John Henson hit like two two or three threes, and I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been really impressive, and and you know throughout the entire roster, I feel like uh, Coach Bud has had a positive impact, especially on the offensive end. You know, Chris Middleton is attempting more threes than he ever has, and he's having a a terrific season. He slumped, uh, you know, last month a little bit, but he seems to be picking it back up and, and shooting the ball well again. And uh, you know, the backcourt with Eric Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon, Bledsoe was just so so disappointing in that series against the Celtics last year in the playoffs, but but he seems to be rejuvenated, and Brogdon being introduced into the starting lineup, he's shooting fo- around 40% from three. Uh, you know, he's having a, a, a really good season. Just up and down the roster, uh, Coach Bud seems to be giving all of these players lots of confidence. Yeah, I wanted to also mention Pat Connaughton, who I think has been an underrated get for them from the offseason. Um, you know, coming from Portland, he was a guy that he's, a, he's an athletic guy, um, and I think he, he does a, a good job, you know, finding his spot. So, like, three point shots or, or dunks, you know, just like that Mori Ball style. Um, and he, he just, he only takes the shots that he gets. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, take shots away from any of the other guys. So, I think he kind of fits, you know, seamlessly into this, this team. I think Mike Budenholzer has been using him really well, too. Yeah, they, um, they've they gotten a lot of production off the bench, and, and all of a sudden this team feels really deep as well. You know, obviously adding Ilya Sova to, to help off the bench. Uh, you know, in that trade, that recent trade, they added George Hill to be the backup point guard, and, he, and he's uh, produced reasonably well in that role. Uh, you know, Tony Snell was a starter for most of last season, but he's coming off the bench. He's a solid player. And they're even getting production from last year's first-round pick, D.J. Wilson, who had a horrible rookie year, but now he's actually showing signs. Yeah, I remember seeing him in the in his rookie season, and this and I was like, this guy's not aggressive at all. Like he doesn't attack the hoop whatsoever. And and I guess with with this team, he doesn't necessarily need to. I mean, he he's got an all right stroke. So I mean, and with uh with the Bucks style, he's you know liberated to shoot that whenever. Um, so it's been it's been interesting to see him turn it around. I didn't expect that or see that coming. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you that uh, it's uh, especially with young players. Uh, it's uh, you know I oftentimes struggle with this, and I feel like a lot of people do of uh, you know counting guys out too too soon, especially when they when they don't don't show much in their first year. But these guys are you know twenty twenty one years old uh, in a lot of cases. You know there's. Uh, uh, I imagine the first year in the NBA can be overwhelming for a lot of guys. Yeah, just becoming a professional is a, a whole new experience. So, I mean, after one year of that under his belt, I mean, DJ Wilson's also been playing in the, the G League um, this season, too, and I've been seeing a couple games from him there. Um, he just looks like, a, like a, a little bit more aggressive, but a little bit more willing to, to try different things, too. Another player that I wanted to mention for the Bucks was Sterling Brown. I thought he's been um, playing reasonably well. Like I think he takes a lot of 
tough defensive assignments and you know with his strength I think he he's able to and just like any of the other Bucks players he's he's got the free reign to shoot that three ball too yeah and you know he's a guy that I think has been taking minutes away from the guy you mentioned earlier which was Pat Connaughton and uh you know even uh, guys like Dante DiVincenzo, their first-round pick from this year, was playing for them early on in the season and, and playing reasonably well. Nothing fantastic, but you know he's also been replaced in the rotation by by George Hill. So they've got guys, you know, ten, eleven, twelve on the roster that aren't really getting minutes that are that are very much capable NBA players. Yeah, and I think Budenholzer's been doing a good job of, you know, yeah, maybe you got cut out of the rotation at this point in the season, but. You know, there's going to be injuries, hopefully not, but in realistic sense, there's going to be injuries. You're going to get back into the game. Um, so just getting everyone experienced throughout the year, everyone isn't overloaded with minutes. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the way to play out a season so that, you know, come playoff time, if you need to call on somebody, they've played, you know, a reasonable amount of time throughout the regular season. They know how to play with all your other guys. So I think that's a... Um, the right way to go about it with your rotations throughout a season. Yeah, and you know the 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 Bucks have have played a lot of really entertaining games this year. They they of course went to to Golden State and blew out the Warriors earlier this year. Uh, they played a game against Boston where the Celtics hit what seemed like fifty threes on them uh, and, uh, and and lost that game. Uh, but but uh, they, they've. They've played some really fantastic ball games. The, the recent game against Toronto, a game they lost where Giannis put up 43, uh, but uh, you know the, the Raptors were able to to uh, to really score the ball with with Kawhi Leonard and uh, and Pascal Siakam both going for for 30 plus. But uh, the the last game they played against the Utah Jazz, where the Bucks ended up winning, I thought was a really fascinating matchup because. You know, and, and I've thought that this might be a good idea with the fact that Brooke Lopez usually is standing behind the three-point line, and, and Giannis is this guy that is, is shooting really horribly from three this year. I think he's, you know, below 15% on the season. Uh, you didn't have to do him like that. You could have just left it out pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I had, you know, there, there's a difference between, like, you know, what Marcus Smart is and even what Giannis is. Giannis is at a whole different level. Right, but uh, I thought it was a, a good strategy to maybe put your center on Giannis and put the uh, you know your power forward out on Lopez, and, and the Jazz tried that last night with with relatively decent success. You know, Giannis had a um, an inefficient game for from his standards last night with Gobert guarding him. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get to see the game, so I didn't see that strategy but i like the idea of that because you're you're four probably jake crowder I assume. they started and favors but but yes favors. crowder plays okay. a lot at the four for them okay yeah so those guys are, are more probably adept at helping off um and then coming out to close out you know someone like gobert is not going to do a great job closing out 30 feet to, to brooke lopez i can see jake crowder doing that with a lot more a lot more effectively yeah, and you know the um, the Celtics showed that uh, that uh, that strategy can work a little bit as well, playing the likes of, of Horford and Baines on Giannis at times, and uh, even Semi Ojale uh, got some starts, got a start in that crucial Game Five of that first round series between the Celtics and Bucks last year, 
and in large part just because he's got the size and strength to deal with Giannis. But, you know, looking at, you know, I mentioned the the three-point percentage for Giannis, and and obviously other than that, he's having a a fantastic season. But uh, is is the jumper still super concerning for you come playoff time? Uh, No, not with 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 the style that they're playing now. I don't think he needs to be able to shoot. I mean, he's still averaging 26 points without a jump shot. And, and of course, that's over uh, playing against everyone in the NBA. So in a series, you're playing um, matchup-specific basketball. But I think he's going to have the room to operate. And if you want to shrink the floor against him, the Bucks are have, have shown all season that they're just going to bang threes on you. If you, if you want to just clock the paint, they're going to say, okay, we have four other guys in the court that are willing to shoot that three. And if you close out, you have one good closeout, that's fine. We'll swing the ball. You get two good closeout, that's fine. They keep swinging the ball till they get an open three, and it's hard to have, you know, four good closeouts in a defensive possession. So they're bound to get one good three in a possession almost every time. It's either that or Giannis is going to dunk on someone's head. Yeah, you, you do make a good point that, you know, in previous years and, and including last year, the, the, the spacing was an issue for Giannis. So, you know, the, the fact that the Celtics could not only lay off Giannis uh, and and tell him, you know, we're happy to let you shoot the basketball, but, but they, they were also able to clog the paint, which, yeah, may be a little bit tougher, uh, you know, with, with this year's group. But uh, what about the likes of, of Brooke Lopez? Do you imagine, you know, we, we've seen in previous seasons, you know, against the best of the best types of teams that these, you know, uh, kind of floor-bound centers really struggle on the defensive end. Do you imagine his minutes are going to shrink come playoffs, or do you think he's going to be able to stay on the floor? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, I wonder if maybe, yeah, you're going to get um, – because, like, if you play, like, the Celtics, they're just going to try to switch and get Kyrie on Lopez. Or maybe you do make the, the finals and you're going to play either Steph or Harden. They're going to try to switch on to Brooke Lopez. I wonder if you're just going to accept that trade off and then just use his floor space on the offensive end and just hope that, hey, we can score more points than you. Because that's kind of how it's it's been the last couple of years. You need to you need to score more um, than the other team on, on defense it's it's just tough to keep him on the floor but maybe you just trust your help defense I, I don't know it's a it's a tough uh tough question yeah well and, and Thon Maker the fact that uh you know he, he had a really good game against against the Jazz last night so they, they've got uh you know another option in terms of a center that can that can switch out on the floor and Maker so, you know, in the event that Lopez does, in fact, struggle a little bit, they, they do have a bit of a backup plan, and Maker has shown in the last couple of postseasons that uh, that he is a different player at that time. It's true. It is a seven-game series, so, I mean, you see what works for you, and you, and you adjust. So, I mean, uh, I'm sure they'll start with uh, Brooke Lopez, and they'll see how that goes, if they can uh, make that trade-off worth it. Now, where do you where, where do you have Milwaukee in terms of the the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference right now? Um, I would probably say that they're in the same tier with Toronto. Okay. Uh, I think home court's going to make a big difference. Uh, I mean, Toronto's number one right now, right? Or uh, no, the Bucks the Bucks percentage points are are first in the East, but it's not by much. Okay. Well, I still I would expect Toronto to still 
come up with the number one seed by the end of the year. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to contain Giannis for, for a seven-game series. Uh, but those two teams, I, I'd say, are the, the top two in the East. And then you got Philly and Boston. I would even add Indiana to that to that second tier. Okay. Um, Indiana's just such a strong, you know, team basketball kind of kind of team. So I, I like where they are. But, um, yeah, put it, you know, just pitting them versus Toronto, really. Yeah, that that's interesting. I I still, despite their their early season struggles, and really we're we're almost at the halfway point, so it's been a half a season of struggles. But I still have the Celtics in that same top tier uh, as uh, as Milwaukee and Toronto. But uh, but certainly uh, they they've got some improvements to make. Uh, but uh, you know, Gordon Hayward has started to show a little bit of uh, some signs that uh, that he's starting to turn things around. But it'll certainly be a fantastic race all season. Uh, for both the Bucks and the Timberwolves, uh, the Timberwolves more trying to to fight towards the towards the bottom of the West, whereas Milwaukee continuing to fight for for home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Stuart, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, of course, Gary. It's uh, it's great to be on this pod for another time. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be on this pod another time in the future. Yeah, I'd love to have you on again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at onu.edu you can uh, give me any questions comments concerns compliments be happy to uh, to hear from you and uh, hopefully i can get back to you as well you can get a hold of me on facebook at facebook.com slash garrett bougay garrett is spelled with uh, two r's and two t's you can also uh, catch me on twitter at garrett bougay i plan on airing episodes just about every wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. And uh, if you're if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com Internet for details.